Well, last week we began looking at the letter known as 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, wrote this letter to early Christians scattered, dispersed from Rome. But it's not just a message for the church in those days. Again, this was written in the first century. Uh, Peter was, was an older gentleman by this time when, when this letter was written. But this is not just a, a message for the church in that first century. It's a letter to the church now. And last week, we, we heard Peter say some things out of the beginning of chapter 1. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Peter said this, We've been born again to a living hope, and we're able to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable undefiled and will not fade away. And it's reserved in heaven for you and for me. And, and Peter goes on to say that we are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then Peter says this, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, You've been distressed by various trials. And that's one thing with which we can all relate. Uh, we all understand some degree of trial, be it, be it physical, be it emotional, whatever those might be. We can, we can understand this idea of trial. And Peter says, and, and with these trials, that the proof, the proof of your faith be more precious than gold which perishes as it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and today we're going to begin with verse 13. Peter says that if we've trusted in Christ and what He's done for us on the cross, we're born again to a living hope through Jesus' resurrection. If we've been born again to a living hope through Jesus' resurrection... We're going to look and live differently. What does Peter mean? Well, he's going to show us. Verse 13, Peter says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If we're going to live in hope, prepare your minds for action. Prepare, gird up, get ready. Your thoughts, your critical thinking... In some translations, we use the word uh, prepare for action. What kind of action? Well, anything. Come what may. Part of the, the beauty of having the Lord in one's life is to be able to handle what's around the curve up ahead. Come what may. Peter says to keep sober in spirit. Have your wits about you. Be, be vigilant and to set your hope on grace, your hope, your trust, your expectation. Set all of that on the grace brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope completely on Christ. Don't waver. And, and Peter's very clear. And then he says this in verse 14, As obedient children do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. If we're going to live in hope, we have to be obedient. We, we can't be conformed to what was. 
And then Peter brings out the L word, lusts. Oh my. Woo! Former lusts, our, our passions, our desires, our lack of impulse control. Lusts which were yours and mine in ignorance. Your ignorance and my ignorance. And reality is we are no longer ignorant. But as we look at the text, it's something I saw this week, sometimes ignorance can be defined as willful blindness. Fascinating. Sometimes ignorance can be defined as willful blindness. You know, I, I don't want to... You know, don't tell me what I don't want to hear. You know, I want to be blind in my conduct, what have you. It's interesting. Peter says we are to follow these directions as obedient children. And, and we just read a moment ago, early on the things we saw last week, that, that we, we are children with, with an inheritance, this valued inheritance which is undefiled and that will not fade away. Peter says, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. If we're going to live in hope, we have to be obedient. We are told to be holy, to be holy in all behavior. And that, to me, sounds like a very tall order. <laughs> to be like the Holy One, the Holy One who called you, who, who called me, called us out, invited us, who summoned us, out from our old lives. And, and, and we're to be like the Holy One, Peter says, because it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. I mean, Peter really couldn't be any more clear or direct. In Exodus chapter 19, we see that, that, that God has called the Israelites to be His, His people, to be a kingdom of priests, to be a holy nation, to be His people. Peter says, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. One of the things about Peter, this is a very well written letter. It's very clear. There's no fluff in it, is there? It's, <laughs> Peter is just saying, this is what really you are and I, I am to do. And, and if we're going to live in hope, we are to conduct ourselves and our behaviors, etc. We're to conduct ourselves in fear. And, and, and fear, it's reverence, it's respect, it's a, it's a holy fear. If we address the impartial judge of heaven, if we address that one, the Lord, God, if we address Him as Father, this one, the Father, judges according to your work and my work. He judges our work. And our conduct of respect should be for the duration of our stay on earth. Our time, our, our duration, our season, our season of life. From that moment of time when the Lord and His graciousness and His whole, the way His Spirit is always reaching out and trying to make Him, attempting to make Himself known to you and to me. And as His Spirit called you and called me, out from our willful ignorance and called us to the things of Himself and called us to His Son. From that time until that point when we, when we are in His presence, 
at the end of our lives, our conduct of respect should be for that duration of time. And, and, and Peter is saying to live, we are to live in such a way that regardless of our time of departure, and it could be this afternoon, you never know, our conduct should reflect respect for the Lord and His directions for us. Peter minces no words. He's very clear. And he says in verse 18, "...knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers." Our conduct should reflect the knowledge that we were not redeemed with earthly valuables. We were not bought back, redeemed, we were not bought back from the realms of sin and death and the gates of hell itself. We were not bought back with earthly treasure. We weren't redeemed with silver and gold. As good as silver and gold are, silver and gold are finite. Gold is finite. Silver is finite. Gold and silver will come to an end. But the things of God will not. From what were we redeemed? Well, this, Peter says this feudal way of life inherited from our forefathers. What's he saying? The way this can be read, it's, it's an empty way of life. It's, it's, it can also be read as vain conversation and conduct. The prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah says this. He, he addresses these things which are inherited in regard to mindless routine, hollow tradition, and he regards them as nothing but falsehood, futility, and things of no benefit. We were redeemed from those things. We were redeemed not with silver or gold, but but verse 19 says that we were redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. We were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, that the blood of Jesus. It's not finite like silver or gold. This precious blood, as from a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of a sacrificial lamb. And Leviticus, that, that book in the Old Testament, way back toward the beginning, Leviticus chapter 17, we see that the Lord says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. And later on in the New Testament, in the, in the Gospel of John, early on, John the Baptist sees his cousin Jesus coming toward him, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lord himself has redeemed us. He's he's bought us back, and he's done it with nothing less than himself. Think about that. The Lord has redeemed us with nothing less than himself. Jesus, the Word of God, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, God made flesh. The Lord has redeemed us with nothing less than Himself. Verse 20, Peter writes about the Lord. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but He has appeared in these last times for the sake of you and the sake of me. And Peter says, "...who through Him are believers in God, who raised Jesus from the dead and gave gave Him glory." God raised Jesus from the dead. God gave Jesus glory. 
so that your faith and my faith and your hope and my hope are in God. For the sake of you and me, God has raised Jesus from the dead. God has given Jesus glory. And as a result of all of this, our faith and hope are in God. We saw that verse as we began this morning back in verse 3. When Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter says this in verse 22, Since you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth, for a sincere love of the brothers and sisters, fervently love one another from the heart. Our souls have been purified. We have seen what Jesus has done for us to offer us salvation. And if we have trusted in what Jesus has done, if we have confessed our sin, we have trusted in Him and His death and His resurrection. We've confessed that. And we obey what He says. Our souls are purified in obedience to the truth. And the truth, the, the truth of the gospel, the light of God's presence, and, and how this works out through our understanding and our conduct. Not just that we see it, but we live it in our conduct. And, and since we've done this for a sincere love of the brothers and sisters in our faith, we are to fervently love one another. If we're going to live in hope... We are to fervently love one another. And, and the love of which Peter is speaking, love looks, has various forms we see in Scripture. And, and the word in the old language is agape love. And it means to wish well, to, to regard the welfare of, to think more highly of the other one as opposed to oneself. We, we are to fervently love one another from the heart. Fervent. What, what does that mean? Well, here it, it means without slack, completely taut, T-A-U-T. It's a tight line, no slack in the line. It doesn't let up. So how does this look? We will bear with one another when it gets hard. A colleague of mine years ago made this statement. He said, we were, you know, we were working together at church. And he said, we worked together long enough. He said, there'll be a bump in the road. And we, we will work and love past that. Brilliant, wise words. And as we live together as the body of Christ, as we love together as the family of God, we can't have any slack in the line, can we? That's what Peter's saying. We're to fervently love one another. And he says in verse 23, For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. We are to be obedient with all the above which Peter has shared. For we have been born again. And, and, and not of a physical nature, not as perishable earthly seed, but it's a new birth, it's, it's rebirth, it's being born again, a spiritual rebirth which is imperishable through the living, enduring Word of God. The Word of Scripture. Jesus, the living Word. And then Peter shares these words from the Old Testament. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. 
The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. So Peter puts this image up of a finite creation. Grass which withers, flowers which the petals will fall off. And he contrasts this to the infinite scope of the word of the Lord. He says this, the word of the Lord endures forever. And then Peter says this, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Therefore, because of what has been revealed earlier, all that Peter has said, if we're going to live in hope, we are to rid ourselves completely of the following. And he goes down the list. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy... And, and digging a little deeper, look at some of these words. Envy is ill will. can be defined as ill will, whereas malice is considered ill will in action. Fascinating. Envy is ill will, but malice is ill will with hands and feet and intent and ready to go. <laughs> and then he says slander. Backbiting. We see in the Old Testament murmuring, grumbling. Here's something else. If we rid ourselves of these behaviors, this is one more way of loving one another fervently. If we are loving one another fervently, with no slack in the line, we're not going to be a party to these kinds of of, of sins of the heart and mouth and action, are we? No. It's, Peter's very clear. And then he says this. He says, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. We are to, to long for the pure milk of the Word. Newborns need milk. Newborns need to grow. And it's how, it's how we're designed. Milk in this context doesn't imply that these Christians to whom Peter is writing, they're not, they're not immature believers. Some of, some of Peter's audience, immediate audience in these letters, they've been following the Lord for 30 years. Again, this is about 30 years after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected. We see the word milk used some places in the New Testament to imply immaturity, but that's not the case here. Milk here is the image given to the pure intake of Scripture, that we should seek Scripture, the living Word of God, as infants crave nourishment. I didn't grow up with a baby in the house. I was the youngest sibling in in my home. I had not been around babies much. And then we started having babies. And you know, their alarms go off when they are hungry and they're ready to eat. The whole world knows. <laughs> Those alarms go off. They are craving nourishment and it's obvious. And in the same way, in the same way, we are to crave the things of God in Scripture. And, and if we are intaking good, pure nourishment, we won't stay newborn long. 
will we? we? We're designed to grow. We are to grow in respect to salvation. What, what does growing in respect to salvation mean? What does growing in respect to salvation look like? What does it look like? There's a pastor and theologian who's been very influential in, in my life. His writings were the subject of my, of my doctoral work, um, a man named Edmund Clowney. And Edmund Clowney wrote it like this. He's talking about growing in respect to salvation in this verse in 1 Peter. The goal of our growth is salvation. The full salvation in Christ that the gospel proclaims and for which we are kept. And Clowney goes on, he says, Again, we see the alpha and the omega of our hope. Peter writes to those who have already been given new birth by the word, who have already come to the Lord and tasted that he's good. Theirs is a sure hope, for their inheritance is kept for them, and they are kept for it. Yet their hope is also future. They do not merely wait for it, they grow toward it, like flowers to the sun. Faith is purified, love is intensified, grace is tasted as we are tested. I'm going to read that last sentence of Edmund Clowney's right there. Faith is purified, love is intensified, and grace is tasted as we are tested. Peter has already reminded us that we face various trials. We have, we are in some cases, and we will. We will be tested. But grace is tasted in that process. We have a responsibility to grow if we've tasted the kindness of the Lord. And in Psalm 34, we see that verse, it's well known, Oh, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in the Lord. Taste and see. Come and experience. Come and experience the things of God. And in Psalm 19 of David, I think, illustrates this beautifully. David writes that the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much pure gold. And then David says this, Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. When I see the word honey, I think of deep fried biscuits and honey, and I perk up. We taste those. I I can stand here this morning and I can... I can taste them now. And in the same way, infinitely more so, we are able to come and experience the Lord to taste and see that that He is good. Peter talks of tasting the kindness of the Lord. What is the kindness of the Lord? The Lord has given us nothing less than Himself. That's His kindness. If we are going to live in hope, Peter has, has just shared several things that we have to pay attention to. We've got to pay mind. We don't do that to earn salvation. We don't earn salvation. Jesus taking our sins to the cross has given us His righteousness. We've got to accept it. We've got to trust in it. And it's righteousness which is required for us to stand before a holy God. Jesus has imputed 
salvation to us. But here's the thing. If we call Jesus Savior, we also have to follow Him in obedience as Lord. A colleague of mine from years ago, he was, he was a good Georgia boy. And he used to say it like this, If we call Him Lord, we're calling Him boss. We're calling Him boss. He's in charge. And we are to be obedient if He's in charge. If we call Him Savior, we've got to call Him Lord. And if we call Him Lord, our lives, lived obediently, will reflect His glory. And here's something about His glory. Look back at verse 24 for just a minute. Verse 24, Peter, he quotes the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah wrote, Isaiah wrote in verse 6, of chapter 40. He said, All flesh is grass, and its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. And right before that, in in verse 5 of Isaiah 40, we read these words. The glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken... Jesus, the glory of the Lord, has been revealed. He's been revealed. As Peter said in verse 20, the Lord has appeared in these last times for the sake of you and the sake of me. We have seen and experienced the kindness of the Lord. Through Jesus, we can be believers in God. God raised Jesus from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and mine, your hope and mine are in God. For the sake of you and me, God has raised Jesus from the dead. God has given Jesus glory. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, he says, Christ Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient. There's that word again to the point of death, death on the cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him. He exalted his son and he bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and of those who are are in heaven and, and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory, to the glory of God the Father. We have seen His glory. The glory of one come from heaven. Glory of of the one and only Son of God who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. We have experienced the kindness of the Lord. The Lord has given us nothing less than Himself. And that's His kindness. And because of his kindness, we can live in hope.